The Central Division is tight. We all know that. But the division crown is still very much up for grabs heading into the final five days of the regular season. So today in our main topic, we try to guess who will win. Plus, we take a look at the wildcard races, a big payday for Nick Schmaltz in Arizona, the continued success of an NHL legend, the potential final days for another legend, and lots more. Episode 165 of the Lace Up Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tuboff. Before we go any further, we're going to delve in the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am, yes. All right, we're at question 53 of another chapter. This one is titled Class Acts, First and Onlys. So, question of that chapter, question 53. Which scoring line first had all of its members elected to the Hall of Fame? Was it A, the kid line from the Toronto Maple Leafs, B, the production line from the Detroit Red Wings, C, the flying Frenchman line of the Montreal Canadiens, or D, the Long Island Lighting Company of the New York Islanders? Um... I'm going to guess most likely because of the Montreal Canadiens' continued success at the time. I'm going to go with the, was it the French connection for the Canadiens? You mean the flying Frenchman line? Yeah, or that. I prefer the French connection, but yes, (laughs) the flying Frenchman line. Ding, 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 ding. All right. Yep, right on the money. It was the Flying Frenchman line. Uh, the members, by the way, Newsy Lalonde in 1950, Jack Laviolette in 1962, and Didier Petra in 1962 as well. So those were the three members of the Flying Frenchman. Probably not who you were thinking of. You would thought, oh, oh for sure, Belbo, for sure, Richard in that line. Right. Nope. Nope, nope, that was the Flying Frenchman line. All right. Well, I... Uh... I mean, I feel so jaded now that I get things right now. Um. Well, it, it, you know what's interesting is I'm actually taking a look at um, some of the scoring lines in the Hall of Fame and, and how it's, how they're listed. There's actually the production line with Sid Abel, Gordie Howe, and Ted Lindsay. Right. And then there's a second production line with Ovecchio, Howe, and Mahovlich. Ah. So there are okay. actually two production lines on the list that it has so yeah interesting um yeah anyways let's get into it right now um so all three divisions are kind of um uh all all three divisions i mean all four divisions are um pretty close uh together um i mean the atlantic has is pretty much all set. Uh, the Metropolitan, it's pretty much a race with four teams. Um, and then uh, the Pacific is also, you know, it's between, it's our three teams are already set. 
Um, but the the team. Yeah, in, in in the case of the Atlantic and the um, Pacific. Pacific, we actually we actually already know the two three matchups. We know that San Jose is facing Vegas because yep. Calgary clinched the Western Conference. And we know that Boston and Toronto are going to be duking it out uh, in round one because Tampa has clinched pretty much everything. Yeah, exactly. So um, the yes, yeah, so that's the uh, right. That's a good point. Um, we still don't know the Metro yet, but it seems yeah. pretty set. Um, but the uh, Central is what we're going to be talking about today because we have. Uh, Winnipeg, St. Louis, and Nashville all uh, close together in points. Um, they all have three games remaining um, and it, it's going to be like a fight for like the last game for all these teams are really going to matter because um, the Jets are have 96 points and then both the uh, Predators and the Blues have 94 points so um so like even if the jets i mean i guess the way that would happen is like the jets would win three of their games but it's still going to be close because uh you know the blues could win all three of their games or the preds could still win all three of their games and so it's going to be a fight for the finish um in the last set um that's just i'm just i have the th- I have all three teams' schedule right here. Um, the Jets have uh, three away games, which I think is pretty interesting. Uh, they're playing Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't. I didn't check to see if these games are tonight or not, but they play uh, Minnesota. They play Colorado, and then they play Arizona for their last game. All away games. Uh, the Predators they have they play um, at Buffalo, um, and then they have Vancouver and Chicago at home, um, and then we have the Blues. Uh, they play at Chicago, um, and then they have Philly and Vancouver at home. Um, so just from going over this, it's kind of funny because uh, the Preds and the Blues both play Chicago and uh, Vancouver um, and uh, the Jets are like playing two teams in Minnesota and Colorado who are going to be fighting for that uh, wild card uh, spot um, so that, and Arizona too and Arizona as well yeah so um, and they're all away games as well so it's not going to be easy for the yeah. Jets um for sure um yeah in terms of like predictions i feel like the the blues have the easiest uh schedule um but uh purely because like you know vink i mean although i guess it depends on if philly or because i guess the only differing team between the preds and the blues is philly and buffalo um, so I guess that's where it really depends on, but, um, yeah, so, uh, I don't know. I could, I want to say the Jets are gonna, like, figure it out and get the division lead, uh, but at the same time, 
Um, I feel like the Preds and the Blues have the easier schedule. So I could see like the Blues or the the Predators uh, figuring it out and um, beating the, the Jets uh, in the final couple games. Um, so what are, what are your thoughts? Well, when you look at the Winnipeg Jets, who uh, at the time of recording this have 96 points, that's two up on Nashville, two up on St. Louis, uh, coming off an overtime win over the Blackhawks. And just taking a look at uh, some of their stats going back uh, to March, the month of March, they went eight and seven. Um, they had 11 power play goals, top five power play percentage. They're still surrendering a lot of shots against, as we mentioned in our previous episode when we talked about Connor Hellebuck and the workload that he has to deal with. Um, their penalty kill fin- didn't uh, finish the month 80% or better. They were under 80%. Um, and they weren't even generating all that many shots on goal, but they were con- they were uh, converting on a lot of them. Uh, and two guys in particular, Kyler, Kyle Connor and Blake Wheeler, uh, scored a good chunk of those. Blake Wheeler had eight goals in the month of March. Kyle Connor had nine goals. And uh, Kyle Connor has a 30-goal season under his belt. Um, what shocks me about Winnipeg right now is how they're losing games. They were so good, particularly in the second half last year, at home ice. They could not lose at home. Bell MTS Place was a fortress for them. And they have lost not one, not two, but three in a row in regulation on home ice heading into this uh, final road trip that they have going on right now. Um, So if anything, I think getting some momentum on the road is going to benefit this team moving forward. Um, At the same time, they still have a decent chance to take it because like you said, even if all of the teams win out, Winnipeg's still going to win the division because they're two points ahead right now. Right. Um, one thing that does concern me about Winnipeg as well is they've surrendered five goals in three of the past six games. And in one of the games where they didn't give up five goals, they lost three to one to Montreal. So um, they're, they're on the defensive side is where I'm concerned about Winnipeg. But on the offensive side, they're fine. And I think if they take care of the offense, I think they're going to take care of business. From Nashville, it's kind of the exact opposite because – um they're not giving up as many shots but they're also not generating as many shots and as a result they're not scoring too many goals and their power play say what you want about national and the talent that they have their power play has been uncharacteristically inconsistent this year um we we've seen a, a couple of stretches early on in the season where they weren't doing very well and i guess having an effective penalty kill that goes 37 for 48 in the month of march is one heck of an achievement but if you're not scoring goals, unless you're the Arizona Coyotes penalty kill, you're probably not going to get too much uh, punch out of your penalty kill there. So uh, they need to get some scoring outside of Victor Arvidsson. Uh, their best players need to be their best players. Um, and they just need to keep finding ways to win. They um, got a pair of close wins against Minnesota. Uh, after a tough 5-3 loss to the Jets, and they beat Minnesota again last week. They also beat San Jose and Toronto. So they're being a lot of pretty good teams. Uh, So uh, I I think Nashville's chances are also pretty good of winning this division. But then we get to St. Louis. 
Their leading scorer in the month of March was Robert Thomas with 12 points in 15 games. And he's one of their talented prospects uh, up until this year. But when you assume who the Blues' leading scorer is in the month of March, probably the first name that doesn't come to mind is Robert Thomas. You immediately think O'Brien O'Reilly because he's been their most consistent offensive player all or year. Or Tarasenko. Or yeah. a 30-goal season. What's also interesting is that Jake Allen in the month of March had a 921 save percentage in six outings. So in the rare starts that he's gotten, he's been effective. Of course, we can't say enough about Jordan Bennington in the season that he's had. And uh, their, their penalty kill is also decent. Um, so, you know what? I can really make a case for all three of these teams winning the division. If I had to make a prediction... I can see the Blues. I can see the Blues climbing up to Winnipeg's level for second place. Oh, okay. and I think and I think Nashville wins the division, oh, and that would okay. set up Winnipeg versus St. Louis in the first round, and Nashville gets one of the wild card teams, which if all things stay the same, will probably be Dallas. So what's also interesting to keep an eye on is if the Jets end up winning that division and they get Dallas in the first round, it should be noted, Dallas has kind of owned their season series against the Jets and their yeah. defense goaltending has been pretty stingy. So even if, even if like the Preds win the Central or the Blues or the Jets win the Central, it's still going to be a tough draw in round one considering how well Dallas has played as a team. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, by the way, uh, when, by the time we record, uh, Winnipeg has not played Minnesota and Nashville has not played Buffalo, but they both are set to play t tonight. Um, we're recording this on April 2nd. Um, and so those two games will happen beforehand. So that's uh, so this uh, the standings that I updated um, are not going to be updated when you guys hear this. Um, but yeah, no, that that was good insight, Steve. Um, if I had to pick, I think I would go with the Jets still. I know that's kind of boring, but um, I feel like they're finally kind of healthy and. Um, and all that stuff. So I feel like that should help them. They get Buffalo back, Jake Truba. Yeah, that's a huge good. addition. You're right. Yeah. And um, so I think that they're still like um, better than these two teams. Um, having said that, I, I mean, obviously, I wouldn't be surprised if the Predators win this division or the Blues win this division, but. Um, I, I feel like the Jets have been the better team all year of these of these three teams. Like the Blues struggled at the beginning of the year. The Predators have been kind of inconsistent this whole year. Um, and the Jets, I mean, they've had their, their issues as well, but they've more or less been um, up on the top for most of the year. So... I feel like if you go just based off of that, I think the Jets um, have the edge of these three teams because they've been the most consistent. Um, 
Yeah. And what's also interesting, if you're if you're a fan that wants to make money or if you're the NHL and you want to make money, probably the last team you want to cheer for to win the Central is St. Louis, mm -hmm. because that basically means Winnipeg versus Nashville in round one. And one of those teams will make it past round uh, will make it past the first round in round two. True. You'd probably rather see that in round two than in round one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's the that's the craziest part is that like two of these three teams are going to be playing each other in the first round. So, yeah. um, so I, I mean, it, it means more for, like, these teams to get the division lead, but at the same time, it's kind of unfair when you really think about it because it's like, so the Preds are playing the Blues instead of a, another team that they could have been, like the Coyotes maybe, or something like that. So Yeah, but yeah. that won't happen because uh, now that Calgary's clinched the conference... The winner yeah. of this division would get the first wild card. So. No, I no, I know. I, I'm saying that like if it was back to the um, the eight uh, seed format. That oh was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, the old like format. you know, like the Preds would probably be. Oh, I guess the Preds would probably be playing like the the Sharks maybe or the Knights. But um, yeah, so it it would be. But like it's um, it's definitely. Um, you know, they wouldn't be playing a team as good as the Blues are. Um, or or vice versa. The, fa the, the fact that we're even talking about St. Louis winning the division, like I said in the podcast, is absolutely yep. crazy. No, you're Because right. we pretty much ruled them out in December. I thought they were done in December. Yeah. And just the way they've been able to rally together as a team behind their coach, behind Jordan Bennington, um, it's, it's unreal how... They could go from bottom feeders in the West in December to Central Division champions at the end of April, or at the start of April. Yeah, no, it's true. I remember when we did that Thanksgiving episode where we tried to speculate which teams are going to make the playoffs or not. Um, yeah. And, like, I think we kind of counted the Blues out. Um, and uh, although... Our stipulation was that Jake Allen was not a good goalie, or at least that was my yeah. assumption. So, um, and, and I haven't out there. really even yeah. in the picture yet, too. Exactly. So, so. Like, we, we didn't know much about him either. So that's our that's my excuse at least. But uh, yeah. the uh, but yeah, no, it's it's been impressive in terms of how they've been able to turn their season around uh, pretty quickly. Um, Clinches and eliminations we have here. Uh, as Steve has mentioned uh, twice, the Calgary has clinched the Western Conference. Um, so, yeah, they get the uh, home ice advantage until the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, unless, you know, assuming the Lightning um, play, if, like, let's say it's the Lightning Calgary, then, you know, of course, the Lightning would get the home ice but um but calgary gets it all through the western conference um so it's impressive from that perspective uh clinches here uh a lot of different teams but they're all kind of expected uh the preds and the blues like we mentioned before um in this podcast they've officially clinched a playoff spot uh so have the golden knights um, and then in the Eastern Conference, we have here the Capitals, the Islanders, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, this also means, speaking of crazy um, first rounds, but, but it was to be expected, but 
uh, the Bruins, and the Leafs are in as the uh, the two teams um, in the first round um, because you know the Lightning clinched their division, um, and the Bruins and the Leafs are both in the playoffs. Um, so they are both uh, going to play each other officially. Official. We've kind of been. We knew that like about a couple of months ago, but um, it's official now. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have anything on all the other teams I just mentioned. So um, I, I wanted to to add a couple of uh, things uh, to um, whether it's uh, the the playoff chase, um, whether it's uh, the eliminations. Um, but we'll, we'll start with the playoff chase first. Um, the Carolina Hurricanes... Oh, well, I was um, about to get to that. But I, I was just saying if you had anything on on the like oh. on the teams that are clinching. Oh, the teams that are clinching? Uh, well, from from the Eastern Conference standpoint, uh, um, it, it's good for the Capitals, good for the Leafs that they're in. Washington's playing some pretty good hockey. Toronto still trying to figure out their game, and they're probably going to have to figure it out in a seven-game series where they don't have home ice. And um, one thing about the Islanders is they've really gained a lot of respect. Um, And I think they had a lot of respect before because I was reading this article from Darren Dreger, and he said that there was an interesting back and forth between Tavares, his agent, and the Maple Leafs uh, back in the summer. And Darren Drigger says uh, that he thinks Tavares initially wanted one year at 15 million, just a one year from Toronto, let's see if it works, didn't happen. They went back and he felt like Toronto offered something around 9.5, $10 million, that wasn't gonna happen. And then Tavares steps into things and says to Kyle Dubas, look, I'll come play for 11 million per year, but I'm not taking less than that. Otherwise I'm going back to the Islanders. Yeah. So based on that conversation, regardless of whether or not the Islanders fans want to believe it, he still thought about going back to the Islanders if he didn't sign with Toronto. So the respect was already there before the start of the season, but now the Islanders are showing everyone that they're not to be messed around with and yeah. they're really playing good team hockey and it and it shows in their overall product. Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely they're the surprise of the uh, the season in terms of teams. I mean, I guess you could mm-hmm. say the surprise is the Calgary, but um the well, just I, because like, of how good Calgary is. Yeah, but yeah. Well, yeah. I mean like I mean but like Calgary, yeah, they have Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monahan, um, but like I don't think people really expected that Elias Lindholm would make that much of a difference for them, or you know, even Bill Peters was like it was a strange coaching hire to get Bill Peters in there. So I don't think people expected them to have that much of an effect on there. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, no, that's a good point in terms of the Islanders is that they, you know, everyone kind of counted them out that we all thought that they would be with like the Detroits and the Ottawa's and the um, all the bottom feeder teams now, um, just because they lost their best player 
in John mm-hmm. Tavares. Yeah, maybe, maybe we thought they'd be competitive, but like not, yeah. not a playoff team. Right. Well, I don't know. I thought they would probably be like I. I didn't think they would make the playoffs, but um, yeah, I. But I, I, I think it was like I wasn't sure about their goaltending. Um, I wasn't sure about their defense, um, and I wasn't. I mean, Matthew Barzal. I didn't know if he was able, capable of truly taking over a game. Um, so, so I had my questions. Um, but yeah, um, those were definitely all answered, at least so far. Um, yeah. And uh, it also seems, by the way, it seems like the Capitals um, have a they have a three point lead ahead of the Islanders, um, and that's that's going to be pretty close um, towards the end of the season. They both have two games left, but um, but it seems likely that Washington's about to clinch their division pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the eliminations we have here are the Panthers, the Flyers, the Canucks, the Ducks, and the Oilers. Um, so that means there's only a couple teams left where they're truly in. But yeah, all those teams weren't really surprises. Um, I mean, I think like a couple people, I remember during the previews that a couple people had like the Panthers in the playoffs. Um, just as like a wild card type team, but um, it seemed like injuries had a big effect on their uh, thing. Uh, we'll get into it, but Luongo and James Reimer were not um, as good as they were last year, so that kind of uh, uh, altered their playoff chances. But um, but you know, Sasha uh, Sasha Barkov. I don't know if he prefers Sasha or Alexander, but either way, they've, you know, he's a real, real uh, good player that they have out there, but uh, it just wasn't enough for the Panthers. Um, yeah, and the same for the Flyers. They have something going with Carter Hart, but, um, you know, he was able to develop into a good goalie. And I guess they were trying to, um, you know, give him a, another year in the AHL, but he just, the goaltending, you know, was so uh, inconsistent for them that they felt like they just had to start Carter uh, today. Um, yeah, the Canucks are promising. And then I guess you have the two disappointing teams in the Ducks and the Oilers here. Um, yeah, we all kind of expected them to be better, but it's also at the same time, it's not that surprising that they're um, out of it. Um, Eastern Conference, uh, Eastern, that we go to the wild card races, which are pretty exciting now. Um, mm-hmm. So it's pretty much a three team race here. Um, although I guess, is there, I, I, I'm noticing here that Pittsburgh hasn't clinched their playoff spot yet but i imagine yeah, that's Pits- going to be pretty Pittsburgh soon. hasn't uh, clinched at uh, the moment it's but, only the two seats in the metro that have been decided yeah it seems i guess it's possible that yeah i guess it's possible that they could miss the division uh the playoffs but 
Um, it seems like like a ninety nine percent chance that they're going to make it because I think they would pretty yeah, much have, have to. They'd have to lose out probably. They have to lose out, and like Columbus, Carolina, and Montreal all have to win um, all their games. But uh, yeah, so right now we have uh, Columbus and Carolina. <clears throat> um, they have uh, th- uh, two games left. Uh, Columbus has has ninety four points. Um, Carolina has 93 points, um, and then you have Montreal who has 92 points. So that's even really that's really close. Um, and then uh, Pittsburgh has 97 points. So Columbus and Carolina have an outside shot of getting to that third uh, spot, but um, it doesn't seem very likely because you know the difference between Pittsburgh and Columbus right now is uh, three points. Um, but they all have 79 games played. Um, I haven't checked, but I imagine, um, I'm not sure if any of these four teams play each other in their, in their next games, but that would be pretty interesting if, if that were the case. Um, I'll, I'll get your thoughts on the wild card stuff, but, uh, I do want to mention the Western Conference wild card race, um, here the uh so dallas has 89 points colorado has 86 points um and then we have uh teams looking on the outside looking in um we have arizona who has 84 points and then we have minnesota who has 81 points um and then I guess Chicago, although it doesn't seem very likely, but I guess they could. They're not officially eliminated yet, but um, they have 80 points. Um, and all those teams are, have uh, 79 games played uh, still. Uh, so, yeah, what are your thoughts on both of these races? Well, it's, uh, it, it's interesting because... Uh... The Carolina Hurricanes are, are one of those teams like the Islanders that have kind of slowly earned the respect level back uh, as, uh, in the eyes of hockey fans anyways. Um, they're ending the storm surge celebrations, but uh, Captain Justin Williams was adamant saying that it's so much more than just a storm surge. It was the way to kind of get the fans involved, make them feel like they're a part of something. And now the team is winning games, even if they don't make the postseason. They feel a lot of the talking, a lot of the respect is going in their direction for their play on the ice. Um, kind of a lot like the Islanders. They they earn the respect by playing as well as they have. Yep. Um, and it's it's going to be a tight race. I'd like to see Carolina hold on to a playoff spot because um, I, I, I don't know if they would make it past the first round, but um, they, they would certainly... They would certainly make for an, an interesting series. I think they would keep a lot of games close. Um, maybe maybe push it to six games, but I, I don't know if they'd be capable of winning a playoff round if they got in. Uh, they would probably get Washington um, if they finished in the first wildcard spot. And obviously you don't want to finish in the second one because then you're cannon fodder for Tampa Bay. But um, I, I, I think... Um, they would certainly make a series pretty close at the same time. Um, in, in regards uh, to the Montreal Canadiens, it'll be interesting too because 
Uh, they're without Paul Byron, who is concussed after a fight with Flores McKenzie Weaker. And um, they're undergoing probably the most important stretch of their season and probably the toughest stretch of their season. They lost to Columbus, bounced back with a solid win in Winnipeg. But now they host Tampa Bay tonight, uh, Tuesday night, uh, then Toronto, and then they have an away game at Washington uh, smacked in between all of that. Uh, so uh, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting uh, to see how Montreal is able to um, kind of handle all that, digest all of that, and still make the playoffs. Right. Um, as far as the, the Western wildcard picture is concerned, um, I think Minnesota is done. I don't like their chances at all. And um, uh, I, I think it's going to come down between uh, Colorado and Arizona for that final spot. And uh, Colorado got a much-needed point against um, the Blues last night in the dying seconds regulation. They tied it, forced overtime, uh, ended up losing in extra time. But uh, they certainly needed that point. And... Um, their their goaltending is looking pretty good, so it'll be interesting uh, to see how that works. And and just getting back to the eliminations for a quick sec. Yep, sure. Uh, just can't. I just can't emphasize how disappointing it is for a team to have two forty goal scorers, two hundred point scorers, and they don't make the playoffs. Like, how much more do you need to make the playoffs, and you still can't get it done? Uh, the the goaltending of the Oilers. Um, the team defense, the Oilers absolutely KO'd their season. Um, they probably would have had a chance otherwise. Um, that didn't happen. And uh, on top of that, Anthony Stolarz will not fit the requirements to become a restricted free agent. So if the Oilers don't extend him before June 30th, he's a Group 6 UFA and yeah. can sign anywhere he wants. So I do. Um, I think it's going to be an off season of contemplation and probably. because this can't go on for much longer if if you're going to keep Drysdale and McDavid on board only to waste a couple of their prime years like uh, that's how you drive players away yeah the the Anthony Stolar situation is kind of strange when you think about it because I had thought that they would at least give him a shot to play but I had him on my a couple of my fantasy teams um, and then, like, because I thought, like, oh, he's, you know, he's worth a shot to see if um, he'll get some starts or something. But uh, he didn't even get any many starts for the Oilers. So it's like, so why even make that kind of trade um, if you're going to do that? Uh, you know, you know, you thought that, like, they're, they're, the reason why they even made that trade to begin with was so that they could get um, a an RFA or a, a player on a cheap deal, um, you know, or something like that. But it seems like they just didn't trust Stolarz enough, um, which is kind of strange when you think about it because it's like it wasn't like Koskinen was lighting the the roof on fire kind of thing. So. Um, it's yeah, and, and in, in fact, he was deflating the balloon with some of the yeah. goals that were going by him. And I, know. I, I, I remember seeing an article from The Point that says, that posed the question, is there something wrong with Koskinen's glove hand? And I've I've counted at least a dozen times where the other team shoots glove side and it gets by him. Yeah. So he needs to do some serious work in the offseason to fix that glove hand. And 
a few of the errors that he's making because if they're getting the same Miko Koskinen next year as they're getting this year, it's going to be another long season in Edmonton. Yeah, it's funny too because I guess that trade is the Cam Talbot first Stolarz trade is kind of like a lose-lose situation for both these teams because uh, Talbot hasn't really played that much either for Philly either. Um, In fairness, a, though, they have played Brian Elliott and Carter Hart is their guy. True. So, assuming they no, I know. keep Elliott, I think we're going to see more of Cam Talbot next year. Okay, but, that's definitely possible, yeah. But both are free agents, so they'll have to pick one. Right, of course. Um, and then, uh, yeah, as for the wild card, yeah, you had a good, uh, good points there for the wild card stuff. Yeah, I think it's pretty much going to be... Th- what what is currently the case here uh, with Columbus and Carolina? I think they're both gonna make it into the wild card. You had a you you you've brought it up for the past couple of uh, weeks, but Montreal has a very tough schedule, and you you know you brought it up again. But um, so I I guess it's it's uh, possible that they're. I don't. I wouldn't be surprised, obviously, if Montreal makes the playoffs. But um, I feel like Carolina and Columbus are pretty much in. Also, Columbus has a five-game winning streak right now, so it seems like they're uh, on the up and up in that sense. Um, as for Dallas, yeah, Col- and, and that that's kind of tough because you know Montreal got that big win over Winnipeg, and Columbus is on a roll, like you said. Yeah. Carolina's been winning some games, so it's like all three of these teams basically still have the pressure to win out because if they take one slip and fall flat on their face, uh, that could be their season. Yep. Um, and then uh, the for the Western Conference. Um, yeah, it's pretty much. It's, it seems like it's pretty much between Arizona and Colorado, um, and I love to see Arizona in the playoffs just because of that like wild cards story. Um, but like when I look at their top not six, um, it's not good. <laughs> so, um, like I think it's like Brad Richardson. Well, their top six would be. Pretty- their top six would be pretty good if everyone was. Oh no! I, I, yeah, don't get me wrong. It's totally understandable why their top six is their top six, um, but like Brad Richardson is their top line center. Um, you know, yeah. uh, Clayton Keller isn't, and Alex Galchenyuk aren't even on the top six anymore. Um, so it's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking right here. Their top line right now is Brad Richardson, uh, Richard Panic, and uh, Vinny Hinestroza um, are the top line. And then their second line is Derek Stepan, Lawson Krauss, and Josh Archibald. Um, but, you know, it's like, the, you know, I know that they don't have Nick Schmaltz. They don't have Antti Ranta. Um, those are their two big injuries um, that they have, but the the fact that like you know Clayton Keller and Galchenyuk were supposed to be their best players, they're not even on the top line anymore, or even on the second line anymore. So it's it's kind of a crazy situation. But 
Um, it does. It's like amazing that they got this far without their best cold tender. Um, and what, like, you know, they got Nick Schmaltz as well, um, who made an impact when he was playing for Arizona for a bit. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, so I don't know if Arizona is going to make it. It's, uh, it's been impressive that they even got this far, uh, just because they've had the worst of luck in injuries, um, this year. So, um, so I'm going to go with Colorado, um, and Dallas just because I feel like Arizona, um, won't make it, uh, just, I, I just, I just don't see it, but, um, I do want to, I, I will be rooting for them though. Um, I want to make that clear. Yeah. It, I think Calgary is going to be rooting for Arizona over Colorado because Arizona would be the easier mm. matchup by a long shot because Colorado's top line is uh, one of the best at hockey when they're on their game. And yeah. I, I also think uh, Grubar might pose a tougher task, even though he's been kind of inconsistent this year. Um, Cause as good as Darcy Kemper has been, he's played a lot of consecutive games. And I think that wear and tear one one, especially with the talent that Calgary has. So I think uh, Calgary could dispatch of Arizona rather easily, maybe even sweep them. But if they face Colorado, that would be a tougher test to deal with for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, let's go to the rapid fire. Uh, the first item is uh, Robert, Roberto Luongo's future in Florida. Um, it's kind of an interesting situation. Uh, after, uh, so this happened, I think, on March 27th. Uh, but after Luongo got allowed five goals uh, to the Maple Leafs, um, I guess a couple of the media were asking him about, like, what what is his future install uh, installed? Um, Luongo said that this season has been very difficult, um, and after this season's over, uh, we'll sit down. He's talking about um, the team, you know, management and him, and they'll figure it out. Um, this is actually the first season of his career that his save percentage is below nine hundred. Although it seems, or not below 900, you I mean he has a 900 save percentage right now, but um, it's been by far his worst season of his uh, like 20 year career. Um, and so, even even like a save percentage yeah. of 900 isn't terrible. Of course, for no. Longo standards, it's terrible. Yep. And also, it's it's I've seen worse. I've seen worse save percentages yeah. for sure. Uh, he's a definitely a Hall of Famer. Um, like first ballot in my opinion um one of the best goalies um in this decade and, and century um so there's that um also i'm just from what i'm reading here is he's uh 628 saves away from breaking Bridgeor's record of uh 28,928 saves um but so it seems it's unlikely that he would I uh, get that this year, uh, obviously, but um, he could definitely get that next year if he's given, even if he plays only like 20 games or so. Um, mm -hmm. I, uh, but anyways, uh, Luongo goes on and says that I still love to play the game. We'll see where it goes. I haven't really made a decision one way or another. It's going to be important once the season is over to talk to uh, Dale Talon 
and management and coaches and see what the plans for the future are and hopefully they involve me somewhere. I understand I'm not 30 years old anymore and I can't take on um, a 50, 60 game workload. But if there's any way for me to contribute, I love to do that. Um, yeah, so the thing that's interesting about Florida's goaltending situation is, is that, you know, well, one, Luongo, you know, is on an absurd contract right now um, because of what happened to the Canucks um, way back when, where they offload, they like front loaded the, the contract. Um, and now, um, so if Luongo retires, um, officially, uh, he still has three years left on his contract. So they have to like kind of find a loophole uh, to um, kind of like put him on LTIR um, or claim that he's been injured or something like that. So that the, um, so that it's not like, uh, uh, so the, I guess the, what would happen is if he officially retired um, the Canucks would get um, punished, um, not the Panthers, uh, which is kind of interesting when you think about it. But um, but then they also have James Reimer, um, who's under contract for another two years um, at $3.4 million per season. Uh, you also have Sam Montebo, who's made his debut um, this season. He's, he's looked pretty good um, in the in the couple of starts that he's played but um, that they could be going to him to be the goalie of the future um, so to speak and then you have um, what was the other thing oh and then there's that speculation that the Panthers are going to try to get uh, Sergei Barbovsky um, in the offseason um, it seems like they're the front runners in um, in getting him. So so that means that you have so if Luongo doesn't retire, then you have um, you know you have a certain you know you have four goalies potentially um, there in Florida. Um, although I guess uh, you know maybe if they get Bobrovsky, they don't feel the need to have Samuel Montebo, um up front there. So that that's going to be interesting to see because it gives you a, a there's a, definitely a situation going on. Um, I also want to note before I take it to you that uh, Luongo has already said that he does he will not request a trade. Um, he loves it in Florida and his family, so he doesn't want to move. Uh, purely for family reasons and it you know I don't really blame him he's like 40 years old right now so um, you know you should um, you should get to stay in Florida uh, for the time being um, yeah any thoughts on this Steve so uh, Nick Kiprios uh, to elaborate on uh, your thought he said um, it if uh, Roberto's long, if, if the health of Roberto Longo is indeed going to cost him playing in the National Hockey League, he says, when it comes to the contract, if that's the case, he'll go to training camp, fail his physical, and that would force him to go on to LTIR, and he would get the remaining of his three-year deal. There's no recapture penalties to the Panthers and to the Canucks as well. Um, and like you said, Sergei Bobrovsky, obviously, 
that ties in because the rumor mill is that um, Florida would take a healthy run at Bobrovsky, especially if Luongo decides to shut it down. The thing about Roberto Luongo and James Reimer is Roberto Luongo didn't play like Roberto Luongo this year. James Reimer didn't play like the good James Reimer. So both of them have been equally inconsistent this year. The problem is James Reimer is younger and still has some term on his deal. Roberto Luongo is older and still has some term on his deal. So you kind of have to pick the lesser of two evils. And I think even as inconsistent he's been, James Reimer offers more to the Florida Panthers than Roberto Luongo does. And the fact that Florida, with the top six that they have and the supposed commitment to improving in the offseason that they're going to have, I just look at Roberto Longo and I'm thinking him and Florida are at such a massive impasse because Florida's ready to win now. And I don't know if Longo is capable of helping them win anymore. And it's yeah. really, really sad because that he had in Florida and had nothing to show for it. Now they're finally ready to win and he's kind of teetering off a little bit and that could cost him his job there. Um, I, I definitely think that he could take on a role with the organization, like from a front office perspective. So I think he could stay in the organization that way. That would be nice to see. But um, as far as his playing days, um, I, I think he could be wanted in other markets if he if he's willing uh, to move out of Florida, which, like you said, you know, isn't a guarantee. He loves it in Florida, understandably so. Yeah. But. Um, I, I think probably retirement is what's going to happen here. I I don't see the Panthers uh, keeping him for much longer beyond this season. Yeah, I think that's the case. That's probably the case too. He's going to like quote unquote retire because I think I don't think he wants to screw over the Canucks either. So I think he'll try to uh, figure like they'll try to make that loophole of it does seem like a loophole is like put him on LTIR even though he's not technically um injured you know uh it's kind of like a weird concept when you think about it like that um but uh yeah i think i think that's probably going to be the way to go is that they're gonna try to uh, retire the the interesting you bring up the fact that he's gonna he could be a man he could be put on like the front office or a management role um but I feel like that might not be allowed if he's still under contract. Well, didn't they do that with Chris Pronger, though? But maybe, yeah. maybe it was a special case, though. Well, Chris Pronger, I think the thing with Chris Pronger is that he... No, he was... Oh, it- he was on the player safety. He was the... Oh, right, okay, right. But right, I don't right. think he was working for a team. Uh, you right. might be on. I think Mark Servard was like a scout for a couple of uh, when he was still on LTIR. So he might be onto something with Mark Savard. I'm not sure if Pronger was doing stuff, but yeah, I guess maybe now that I think about it, I think Mark Savard was doing uh, stuff for the front office while he was uh, while he was on LTIR. Um, yeah, uh, but no, it's a, definitely an interesting situation and certainly something we'll be talking about uh, when when it happens because, you know, a decision will have to be made. Um, 
when the time comes. But it's funny too, the other point that I want to make before I go on to the next topic is, uh, it's funny how you're saying is that like, when it comes to like comparing Luongo and James Reimer and Reimer is younger, it's like young, James Reimer is still 31 years old. He's not like a spring chicken either. So yeah, uh, I know, you know, but Luongo is less of no, a spring I know, chicken I know, than James I know. Reimer. I know, I know. It was just funny that you were like re- referring to James Reimer as like this young player. And I was just like, he's 32. He's going to be 32 this se- next season. It's like. Yeah, well, yeah. I, did, I, did I say. Did I necessarily imply that? You said he was he young. Was, I, I knew what I you meant. I knew what you yeah, meant. I, I didn't say but, he was. I didn't say he was young. I said he was younger. Yeah, younger than than Luongo. I knew. I knew what you meant. I'm just. <laughs> I just wanted to like make sure everyone's clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James Reimer yeah, is not yeah, actually too. young, <laughs> but he is younger yeah. than Luongo uh, by yeah, a certain amount. James He's been in the league for quite a few yeah, years. For sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I also want to mention that. Uh, I, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, I mean, like we're kind of just like shutting Luongo down because he is definitely like, um, just in terms of current goalies, um, like historically speaking, I feel like he's, he's definitely in the top 10, top 15. Um, it's unfortunate that the, that he'll probably never get a Stanley cup, um, unless he is mm-hmm. traded to another team, like just, uh, just temporarily, but um, I I think he's he is definitely one of the best goaltenders um, that we've seen in a, a long time. Um, I just remember in the 2011 uh, series, um, Stanley Cup series, like Luongo was one of the main reasons why the Canucks even had a chance. It was like they were injured for for the most part, but Luongo was incredible. Um, during that that Stanley Cup Finals, just you know, it's just not how the things worked um, for him. So if they played every series, if they played every game of that series in Vancouver, the Canucks probably win. I don't know about that, man. Um, TD Garden absolutely did a number on him. Like I oh. remember every single game that the Canucks played in their barn was a one goal decision up until Game Seven. And every the... time they went, and every time they went to Boston in that series, they got throttled. I was about to say, I don't know, Game 7, he was still uh, not, I mean, he, he lost Game 7. Uh, that was, uh, it wasn't really that close of a game for Game 7 either. So. Yeah, well, it, early on, uh, the Bruins got up to a pretty good but, start, no. but uh, the, let it be known, the Canucks didn't score a goal. I, game, I, so. I, uh, but you do have a point, like the first two games, um, the first three games, he was he was very good. Um Let's go to another legend here, uh, Alex Ovechkin. He he got his fiftieth goal uh, this uh, you know this week. Um, that was his eighth in his career. Um, he needs two more to break uh, two more fifty goal seasons, um, and he can break the record. I think you were saying off the air that it was Pavel Bure has the has the record. Is that right? Um. The record for most fifty goal seasons are held by are co held by Wayne Gretzky and Mike Bossy. Oh, of course. So Ovechkin has eight. Those two what? have nine. He needs one more to tie, two to pass them. I see. Okay. 
Interesting. I yeah, I guess I should like whenever in doubt, you should always guess that Wayne Gretzky has that record. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, you did mention Mike Bossy. I thought you said Pavel Burry for some reason. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's you know we always, I mean we talk about this sh- Ovechkin a lot on this show. I feel like whenever he breaks all these different records, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's definitely impressive that he's still he's still like scoring all these goals when he's like you know he's speaking of age you know he's not a spring chicken either so it's like uh it's just impressive that he's um you know he's still he's still doing it after all these uh years in the league um you have more stats on on this right yeah so um by the way alex ovechkin is slightly older than james Rammer. he's 33 James Harden, right. you mentioned, is 31. Okay. So not a spring chicken, but making this look timeless. He's yeah, the fifth guy in NHL history to record multiple 50-goal campaigns over the age of 30, which is insane. Uh, since 2013, the NHL has seen four 50-goal seasons, all of them by Ovechkin because, of course. Uh, uh, we already mentioned uh, the Wayne Gretzky stat. Um, I, let's let's remind everyone again. He's doing this in an era that hasn't really been known for as much goal scoring, regardless of what this year has seen. Even the uptick in goal scoring this year, um, relative from from the start and to the present of Ovechkin's career, it, it it hasn't really been dominated by goal scorers. And at the age of 33, it seems like he's looking better than ever every year. And for some, it's just like two fifty goal seasons to break this record. Like, you know, maybe it's possible, but uh, it would take a lot. Ovechkin's probably like, no, nah, no problem. I'll break it in three years. <laughs> it's it's just so automatic um, as to the dominance of Alex Ovechkin. Um, I know he's played alongside some great talent over the years, in particular Nicholas Backstrom. Later on, Evgeny Kuznetsov, but I think. On top of hard work, just the pure skill. I think the pure skill makes this happen. Like, he still has that unstoppable shot at the age of 33. Um, to to score 50 goals this frequently in a changing environment is something that very few players will be able to do in the future to Ovechkin's caliber. And I'm sure we'll see a fair amount of 40-goal campaigns, but... After Alex Ovechkin, how many guys are going to have multiple 50-goal seasons? He's he's one of those dying breeds. He's a pure NHL goal scorer and arguably the purest of them all. It's just incredible how how often he keeps scoring 50 goals and how easy it makes it look. Yeah, no, it's definitely – he's definitely um, a – I don't know if – he's once-in-a-generation type player. Um, Mm -hmm. For sure, and uh, we're seeing, and we're, and we're, we're glad to be in an era where we have two other generational players in Crosby, McDavid, and a generational goal scorer in Ovechkin. We've been spoiled in our true. lifetime so far. True. Uh, just quickly here, uh, I don't expect us to talk too much about these two things, but uh, Nick Schmaltz, he gets a seven-year extension, four point four five million annual average value. Um, when he was healthy, he was pretty good for Arizona. Um, but yeah, so let me 
I was going to just pull up his stats real quickly, but, um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting considering that he's out for the season, so you're not necessarily sure of how he's, uh, you know, if he's going to be good next year or years to follow, but, um, or just from a consistency standpoint, but, um, he, uh, yeah, when he was in Arizona uh, for 17 games, he had 14 points, which is pretty good. Um, he's also 22 years old, so 10 years younger than James Reimer. Um, <laughs> we're, that That's going to be my frame of reference from now on, is how old or young they are from James Reimer. Uh, but uh, yeah, the um, Nick Schmaltz is... Uh, so. He still has, you know, the fact that he's 23 years old, he still has a, a couple of years le uh, left in him. So uh, this is a good contract, especially if he can continue to uh, do what he he was doing in Arizona um, when he was starting, you know, for the first 17 games. So if he can continue that um, for the next year, this is like a steal of a contract. Yeah, so uh, we've already talked about his stats earlier this year when he was traded uh, to Arizona in that uh, swap with Dylan Strome. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to talk about the stats, but I'm mostly going to focus on uh, the contract here. So it goes up at a relatively steady rate from years one to four. In year one and two, it's $3 million. In year three, it's $6 million, so a bit of a hike there. But then it goes down to $4.5 million in year four. Years five to seven get really, really interesting because in year five, it's at 7.5. Year six, it's at 8.45. And year seven, it's at 8.5. And by the way, in those in those three years, year five, year six, and year seven, they tacked on a 10-team no-trade clause. Hmm. So they basically have... Uh, in years one, two, three, and four, to realize, okay, are we going to get burned here? If so, we should probably trade this guy. Yeah. Um, because when this team is good, this is one of those contracts that could really set them back in the coming seasons. Yeah. Uh, if he becomes the player that they expect him to be, like a top six forward with a good power play presence, and the Coyotes turn out to be playoff regulars, then I guess you can say it's worth the investment. But right now, it's a bit of a risk in the final three years. Um, I would argue the bigger picture, however, goes back to Chicago because you look at the numbers that Alex Dabrinkit has put up. He's had a 40-goal season this year. Dylan Strom has been producing closer to a point per game in the Windy City than he did in Arizona. Not even close either. So when those guys are due to get paid following next year, what are they going to make and what should they be asking for? Because if Nick Schmaltz is getting between six and seven million bucks a year in the final three years of his deal. And that's what they're going to be asking for. Chicago's going to have to juggle the cap again. Yeah. And they, they've already had to try and, and make good with less already. Signing those guys to long-term contracts is really going to do a number on their cap. So um, I'm thinking in the grand scheme of things in a year or two, how the Chicago Blackhawks are going to look as a result of this extension. They'll even though they didn't, even though they didn't even sign this one, I was about to say they'll probably make another trade to Arizona. I, I'm just looking. <laughs> I'm just look, three yeah. contracts to Arizona. I'm just yeah. looking here at Arizona's roster, and I'm like, pretty much like half the team are like former Blackhawks, pretty much. 
Yeah. Uh, Richard Panic, yeah, Hinnis Stroza. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, Chalmerson. Uh, Ranta. Schmaltz, of course. Hosa. Um, Ranta, I said. Uh, Osterly. Uh, so that's like that's about a, a couple of teams there, a couple of players there that used to be on the Blackhawks. Uh, but yeah, it's um, no, that's a good point. Also, a correction. Uh, I said that Nick Schmaltz was making uh, four point five, four or five million annual average value, um, but it turns out that it's five point eight five million. So that's a mm-hmm. that's a bigger difference. Uh, yeah, which made. which again adds to my argument of yep. hmm, if this is what this guy's making, if Dylan Strom and Alistair Brinkett are thinking, hmm, yeah, how was, much am I worth? You know? Right, right, right. When you were mentioning that, I was just like, wait, but he's making four million, and then I just looked and I realized that I was looking at Anti Ranta's contract instead of yeah. Nick Schmaltz. If if you're looking at year four, then yes, Nick Schmaltz is making four point five million in yeah. year four. He is. But right. his average annual value is close to six million. Of course, yeah. So, so yeah. In, in that sense, it's like it could be a steal of the draft, though. But uh, a steal of a deal, still, I'll I'll maintain that. Um, but it's more, you know, it's one of those things that there's more pressure put on it on Nick Schmaltz because if he if he isn't what they want him to be, it could you know it could definitely affect their cap situation. So. Yeah, um, this is one of those risky plays where I'm I'm looking on Twitter and I see Nick Schmaltz trending. I'm thinking, what is season's over? Why is he trending? And I yeah. look and I'm just thinking, they did what? Right, right, right. <laughs> That's a lot of dollar signs. Yeah. Um, yeah, speaking of contracts here, uh, John Cooper. We don't really, I don't think we really talk about coaches' contracts uh, that much, but um, I don't think the details are public knowledge i was trying to find them quickly but um, i i didn't find them but john cooper uh has a contract extension for the tampa bay lightning um he's i'm i do i did find here that as a head coach he's three three hundred and one um 157 and 44 as a head coach in the nhl um and then, uh, yeah, but like it, it makes sense. He's one of the best coaches um, in the league, um, if not the best coach in the league, um, especially this season, uh, where he's putting up like you know absurd. Uh, you know, the team is putting up an absurd record right now. Um, yeah, they have, they have sixty wins right now. They just got their sixtieth. Exactly. Last night. So, um, and they may get one thirty points if they win out. Um, the rest of the way, which is definitely possible. So, um, so it's definitely uh, something that's worth uh, keeping around for John Cooper. Um, just, all it says here is the multi-year extension, but I don't know if it's if that like the exact amount. I don't even really know if that matters at all uh, for coaches. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure. We'll I think I remember seeing a feature on Cap Friendly that says. Um, that divulges the financial history of coaches and GMs. Uh, um, so may, maybe that's a, a way of finding out there. Um, I think I remember seeing on the hockey news that, um, I don't know if this is the case, but uh, they threw out the number 3.5 to 4 million per year. Nice. So 
it's not Mike Babcock dollars, but that's no. I would say that's around the top ten because how much does Bab- Bab- Babcock play uh, get paid again? I think his cap hit is like seven or eight million per year. Wow. Yeah, right. yeah. Babcock is making elite money there. Um, but uh, the the salary for coaches is nowhere near the level of salaries for players. Of course, so of course, yeah. Three to four, three point five to four million is a lot for a coach. Yeah, I mean, like I, I'd still, I mean, I, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be paid three million a year. It's like mm-hmm. that's not a. <laughs> bad thing at all yeah. yeah certainly more than we make right exactly. now um he's like you say he's got one of the best win percentages since he joined the nhl and tampa bay it's important to remember um that tampa bay was kind of those inconsistent forces where you know they'd be good one year and be eh for a couple of years and then they'd be good again now they've got a regular blueprint for the league to follow and of course management needs to do a good job of drafting well but it all goes back to player development you can't just plug him into nhl 19 and expect them to light it up every game it's not easy mode it doesn't work like that but john cooper has been able to turn kucherov into a dominant force he's been able to help develop guys like brayden point guys like annie gore guys like mikhail shergachev anthony sorelli andre vasilevsky maybe to a certain extent jonathan druin like guys like Stamkos and Heaven, they already had the tools to be good, but a good portion of this team, including the goaltending, needed to be groomed before they could really excel. And as a fresh face, as a guy that kind of sees the modern NHL, um, he's been able to really take a firm grasp of this team, and he's been able to help this team deliver in more ways than one. Um, and it's resulted in probably the best stretch of hockey this franchise has ever seen the team expects to win the fans expect them to win the overall buzz at amelie arena has evolved to the point where they got to host an all-star game and even at three to four million bucks this is still that this is i would still consider this a steal because um of how well tampa bay is doing yeah yeah no it's he's definitely one of the He's up there as one of the best coaches in the league, of course. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's a good uh, it's a good deal for them to keep him on board. Um, then uh, we're I guess we have some time left here. Um, so uh, we we didn't really get to this last week, but uh, a couple of college players got signed to entry level contracts. Um, I saw on Cap Friendly that Caden Primu uh, officially get, gets his entry level contract in uh, for Montreal. He was he's very good for uh, Northeastern. Uh, but I should also mention I should also mention Ryan Poling also got his entry level from Montreal yeah, as, well. as well. So they signed both. Yeah. Um, Bu. Um, oh yeah, and both those guys had a pretty good World Juniors as well. Uh, mm-hmm. BU, uh, but we're going to talk about other uh, Massachusetts schools here. Uh, <laughs> BU gets, uh, they have a ton of uh, prospects and like about six of them uh, signed entry-level contracts um, in the last two weeks. Uh, we may even see one of them here uh, in, the, in the final three games here, but Dante Fabro, who is the the bigger one, um, if Nashville 
isn't spoiled already with defensemen. Uh, he's uh, he signed an entry level contract uh, in Nashville. Uh, Joel Farabee, who was a draft pick this year for Philly, um, he signs an entry level contract. Shane Bowers, who was uh, involved in that Matt Duchesne uh, trade from Colorado, so he's on Colorado now. They uh, he signs an entry level contract. Um, and then you get uh, Chad Chris and Jake Ettinger. Uh, Chris um, has, is uh, going to Chicago, and Ettinger um, is going to Dallas. Um, but yeah, no, it's. It, I think the the bigger deals are Fabro, Farabee, and Bowers. Uh, Fabro um, was a 2016 draft pick, um, and he was also like. A, you know, uh, I think he was picked, like, I remember when in 2016 the Bruins were deciding between McAvoy and Fabro, and uh, I think, like, Fabro was picked just before McAvoy. But um, Fabro seemed to be uh, very, uh, you know, he picked it up this season for the senior, his senior year, and, you know, it's, it's crazy that Nashville has, like, they now have, they already have very good defensemen, and then you add the, this very good defenseman in Fabro. It's good, like it's going to be interesting to see if if Fabro pans out. I wonder what Nashville's going to do because then you have five defensemen. It's like, what do you do? Um, do you just trade one of those guys? And I I guess it just depends on on how good Fabro can be. Um, yeah, and, and on top of that, if, if you want to make this plot even more juicier, I think Fabro's actually eligible for the expansion draft. Right, that's true too. Which yeah. means Nashville's going to have to make a choice. Yep. So they're going to lose a key player uh, to Seattle for sure. Well, that, I mean, that depends on if Seattle picks Fabro. But yeah, no, you're right. Um, they they I feel like Nashville will probably try to make a trade just because of what you just mentioned, because of this upcoming expansion draft. So they might try to make, like, maybe they'll trade Ekholm or Ellis. Um, I know P.K. Subban is struggling this year, so uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe they trade him too. Um, yeah, see, the problem with Ekholm and Ellis is both of them have been pretty good. So yeah, that's a good point. Maybe, maybe, they're, maybe they would... Uh, Maybe they make it one of those package trades like we saw a few others make, or just like, um, well, no, I'm not this. even. We'll, we'll, we'll give you this if you take this guy. I'm not even saying to Seattle necessarily. I'm saying like they could maybe make a trade so that they yeah. like so that they get something back instead of just wasting away, um, you know, instead of getting like losing one of these guys for nothing. Um, yeah. Joel Farabee, who is the 2017 pick, um, or the 2018 pick, but he he should be pretty good. And then Shane Bowers, um, I just wanted to mention because he was projected as like a third line uh, center. Um, I guess that was a big reason why Ottawa even traded him um, in the first place. But it would be kind of interesting if like Colorado get, ends up getting Jack Hughes which is pretty likely to happen. So then that means that they have McKinnon, Bowers, and Jack Hughes 
um, and Bowers could be a good third line center. So that already like helps their uh, depth already. If Bowers, this is assuming that Bowers um, pans out. Um, and then, uh, yeah, um, I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts before I get into the next bit of news? Um, you mean the news about uh, Fox Watch? I yeah. do, yes. Um, yeah, um, it, it, it's going to be interesting how uh, Joel Farabee works in the Flyers system because the Flyers have a lot of good talent. Yep. Um, as far as... Um, as far as Dante Fabro, it's going to be interesting to see how he fits into the Preds' defense. I think he probably would start off as, you know, on like the third D pairing. I don't think they give him a, a top four right. slot right away. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of talent uh, that um, is going to be uh, eked out of the college markets. I also saw that uh, the Canucks uh, signed uh, a goalie. I think Jake Kelly's his name. And they already have Demko and DiPietro in the system. Yep. So uh, that, that'll be another interesting situation to watch uh, over there in Vancouver. I also noticed that uh, Joseph Wall and uh, o- Oliver Wallstrom signed their entry-level deals with Toronto and the Islanders, respectively. Um, so there's there's a lot of uh, good college free agents that are and getting snatched up and, and signed to entry-level Not deals, to mention so. Quinn Hughes made his debut this week, and he had like a yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, he looked really assist. good in it too, yeah. especially that overtime shift. Exactly. Uh, can't remember who who was against. I think it was Dallas, um, but like yeah, that. they they looked really good on. Uh, he looked really good with uh, Pedersen yeah. and Besser. I think it was in overtime, just yeah. an unreal shift by they him a, there. They certainly um, have a bright future there. Yeah, um, for sure. And 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 the Sens uh, made another uh, signing, which we'll get to in Bruins Sens, but uh, okay. But yeah, it, it next next year should be even interesting because of uh, this guy named Adam Fox and Brad. I believe that's the next bit of news. Yeah. Uh, so Adam Fox, uh, he uh, so I guess a bit of background first is that he was involved in that Elias Lindholm um, uh, whoever. For Michael Furland I, 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 trade. I like how you mentioned Dougie Elias Hamilton. Lindholm before you mentioned Dougie Hamilton. I know, I know. I, I, I was yeah, blanking so, on the actual trade. Well, yeah, so to, to refresh everyone's memory, so back in the summer at the, the second day of the NHL draft, if I remember correctly, is when I found out about this. Calgary trades unsigned defensive prospect Adam Fox, Michael Furland, and Dougie Hamilton to Carolina in exchange for Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm. Yeah. Uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks for that. I I was I was like I was trying to think of like who else was involved in that trade, and then the first person I was thinking was Elias Lindholm, and then I was like, oh right, yeah. And then you just Elias Lindholm has had a great year in case you sure. haven't uh, been keeping track of the yeah. NHL. Um, exactly. Um, anyways, I I find I go to uh, so Adam Fox. Uh, I think the big reason why Adam Fox was even treated involved in that trade was because um there was like reports that he wasn't gonna sign with calgary uh so like i guess carolina thought that they had a shot at signing him but it turns out that's not the case i'm looking at his stats right here so he plays for harvard um which is very much like uh jimmy vc as well um but 
Well, yeah, you know what? Speaking of which, apparently the team rumored to be on his radar is, surprise, surprise, the team that BC currently plays for, the, the Rangers, New York Rangers. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that's the front runner. And uh, most also because he, he grew up in New York or around there. So um, mm. so that could happen. Uh, but, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking at stats here. He, uh, so it, he's choosing to forgo, uh, to sign his, not sign his ELC for, um, for Carolina. And he's going to... Uh, He's likely going to be a free and be a senior next year, um, and then sign with. Uh, he's going to be a free agent, basically, like Jimmy VC. Kevin Hayes um, is another one. Um, I think there's been a couple of them um, that I'm blanking on, but um, yeah, those those have been the the bigger ones of uh, players that he can uh, basically. Uh, it's a weird loophole when you think about it, but um, they're allowed to do it. Um, Har, uh, he had this last season, his junior year, he had 48 points in 33 games, uh, which is pretty good um, when you think about it uh, for a defenseman. Um, he's more of a playmaker than a goal scorer, but um, you know, I, I'm sure he, and he, I'm not sure how he projects um, in the NHL, but you know, it's definitely worth taking a chance on. Um, but yeah, no, now it's like next year. So not this summer, but next summer, it's going to be interesting because he's going to, it's going to be a lot like Jimmy VC, uh, the Jimmy VC situation where, uh, he gets to choose on, uh, which team, uh, he gets to go to. Um, and I'm sure a lot of teams are going to be interested in um, in this type of player. Yeah, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be for sure uh, an interesting watch there, a fox watch, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I, uh, <laughs> I I think he probably ends up going to the Rangers. I I I, f- I find that. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just a case of Jimmy VC that kind of puts the stereotype out there that you know if um, if, um, if if there's a college uh, player that is reluctant to sign with the team, he, he has this other place in mind. And how could you not like New York? Like New York right. is everything. So yeah, um, I, I think he probably ends up going to the Rangers and the Hurricanes. Um, knowing the information that they know, knowing that Adam Fox is probably not going to sign, probably the route they're going to do is try to trade him. That's probably the best route. And um, I've, you know, given the fact the Rangers are in rebuild mode, they could probably use the defenseman like him. So um, I think even though they're in there, they're in the division, they should try and get as much value as they can for Adam Fox. And even if it's to a division rival, I think it, they, they need to find a deal that makes sense for both teams. And the Rangers have a lot of talent to choose from, so we'll True. see what happens. Yeah, I think the, the thing, it's hard for me to, like, project on which team, like, which team will need defensemen or, like, you know, I feel like if I'm Adam Fox um, and I get to choose on which team, like, which team I get to be a prospect for, I feel like I want to be on a team that doesn't have a ton of defensemen or like a team that currently uh, doesn't have it, like I could get some playing time in the future. Um, 
I know the Rangers do have Keandre Miller in their system, um, who's another great defenseman um, who's looking good. And, uh, you know, so maybe he does go to the Rangers, but, you know, I could see him going to another team that uh, needs defensemen as well. Like maybe Detroit. Detroit would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, Detroit's definitely up there too. I, I think Keandre Miller is one of those physical defensemen. I think Adam Fox is the more offensively gifted. Yep. Which for sure. you know you know how much the Rangers like offensively gifted defensemen. They got uh, Kevin Schottenker there. But Yep, for sure. Although he hasn't been as good as Yeah. Advertising. Yeah. So they're but hoping yeah. Adam Fox uh, pans up better than Schottenkirk has. So of far. course. Yeah. Schottenkirk hasn't worked out well for them. Um Let's go to the Bruins Sens segment. Um, you went first last week. I'll go first this week. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I full disclosure. I had family over last week, so I didn't watch too many Bruins games this week. But um, I will still. I did watch a couple of highlights and stuff, so I I am still. A fan of the Bruins, but I haven't been as attentive as I usually am. Um, uh, anyways, uh, the Bruins uh, played the Lightning um, on. Uh, I think this is on Monday. Or no, no, yeah, Monday. Um, Steven Stamkos gets things started with a goal, his 40th. Um, and then Brad Marchand gets uh, his 33rd goal, um, power play goal. And then Steven Stamkos gets uh, another goal um, in the first period. Uh, then you get Charlie Coyle. Um, you get a barrage here. Uh, Charlie Coyle, uh, Brandon Carlo, and Brad Marchand. I feel like, did I? I feel like I mentioned this game already. Yeah, I've already mentioned this game. Uh, which which game? The the Bruins Lightning game. For some reason, uh, I'm reading the the recap, no, and I, I was like, so. "Oh well, actually, actually, yeah, I think he did because we recorded on a Tuesday last week, and that was on a Monday." Yeah. So we. we okay, yeah, so I you already did. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, the Bruins did lose to the Lightning. We, they. Yeah. They, yeah. they they played they played relatively decent. But that was the like, game. Yeah, that was, yeah. We 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 already covered that one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what what happened after the Lightning game? <laughs> the Bruins played the Rangers. <laughs> Sorry, that was a weird <laughs> mix up by both of us. We didn't even catch it. Um, I was like, wait a second. I I already recapped this game. Um, yeah. We so jumped into the time machine. We exactly. Did, 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 I was just like, about, what are you wait about? a second. I we already played the game. Um, the Bruins, uh, played the Rangers, uh, on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, this one I saw parts of, uh, Pasternak gets things going though, uh, to, um, start things off in the first, uh, then you hit Mika Zibanejad, um, there, uh, then you get, uh, Pasternak, uh, scoring in the second period, um, and then there was in the third period was pretty much like an onslaught of uh, different goals here. Uh, Jake DeBrus scores uh, to make it three one. Then Ryan Strom uh, makes it three two. So it's pretty close at this point. Um, and then Pasternak gets a hat trick here. Um, this was a uh, oh I'll I'll say that later. 
Um, and then you get Patrice Bergeron scoring, and then Charlie McAvoy scoring. Uh, Charlie McAvoy has gotten a couple of goals lately, which is uh, which is fun to see and good to see, um, especially from a defenseman. Uh, but now you know he made it six to two, um, and then because Zibanejad uh, gets another goal, uh, that's his thirtieth of the season. Uh, there was uh, so this is uh, Pasternak's fourth career hat trick, um, his third of the season, which is uh, incredible. What's amazing about Pasternak is that he was he's been injured for most of the season, um, but like you know he if he has played a full season he could be he would be up there in the rocket richard race but he has like 36 goals in 63 games so far that's you know that i guess if he you know that's you have to add a couple like about like that's maybe like around 40 50 goals if he played a full season i i, I have to do the math there but uh, that's around the case there so uh good for Pasternak to get a hatch his fourth career hat trick um, there, and also the funnier thing was during, uh, so that was an NBCSN game, um, and uh, there's a commercial uh, where Pasternak uh, is in the penalty box and he gets like a Dunkin' Donuts coffee, um, but <laughs> there was during the NBCSN game when Pasternak was penalized, uh, he was going to the penalty penalty box and then they had NBC did like a um like a picture in picture kind of thing and they showed yeah. that commercial that Dunkin Donuts commercial while he was still in the box it was kind of like a funny I'm not sure if it was intentional but I wouldn't be surprised if it was yeah. it's just it was a, perfectly just a funny moment. it was perfectly executed. I honestly there yeah. there there've been times like at my job in radio where like uh, a commercial plays where you, where you talk about something on a show and then a, a commercial just about like the topic or, or something like that just segues perfectly into it. So it's just mm. like one of those one of those things or like a music bit that's fitting to the topic that we're talking about. Like, like I don't even plan it. It just happens on its own. Yeah. So it could, it could have been one of those accidentally on purpose kind of things right. or just a perfect storm, perfect coincidence. But yeah. either way, either way, it was just as entertaining. I like For sure. Uh, then the Bruins played the Panthers. Um, this was an unfortunate game, but uh, Riley Sheehan, Evgeny Dadunov, uh get the goals going in the first. Uh, then you get Noel Atari. Uh, scoring in the second, but uh, then Brower dead enough uh, uh, make things four to one, um, and that's the final score there. Uh, yeah, this was one of the like uh, it was. I mean, we just talked about Luongo for a bit, uh, but this Luongo was playing. He was he was very good in this game. Um, so uh, I guess it's somewhat fitting that he was able to finally get his revenge on the Bruins. Um, this year, because it seems like the Bruins have, oh, if this is truly his last game, um, at least against the Bruins, uh, you know, it's it's kind of fitting that he was able to um, finally uh, beat the Bruins, because that's kind of, it has been, you know, the Bruins and the Luongo are kind of always going to be connected in some way. 
Um, and, you know, so it's kind of like fitting that he was able to uh, pull off a win there uh, against, against the Bruins here. Um, and then on Sunday, so the next day, the Bruins played the, the Red Wings. Um, Anthony Mantha is incredible, by the way. Um, but uh, he had a hat trick in this game. Uh, he had yeah, two... also also a two assists to add yeah, on to that hat trick. Exactly, yeah. Uh, he had uh, two goals in the first, um, and then a goal and two assists in the third. Um, and then in between the third period, the in the second period, Jake DeBrus, Brad Marchand, and David Backus get goals. Um, and then in the third, we, I just talked about Anthony Mantha. He scores. Uh, Taro Hirose, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He uh, he's actually been he's been decent. I keep seeing him on this score sheet um, every now and then. Uh, but he gets his first goal of his career and the season, of course. Um, and then uh, Philip Hironik, uh scores, and then Dylan Larkin gets an empty netter goal. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I mentioned Anthony Mantha is incredible. It's one of those things where, like, I guess what happened is Gustav Nyquist goes to the Sharks, and then uh, that allows Mantha and Larkin to, uh, and, like, guys like Athanasiu and Bertuzzi, those guys get to, um, you know, get more playing time and, and are more likely to score and stuff. So, um you know, it's looking good for Mantha. I know he's been kind of disappointing uh, since his rookie year, but um, maybe he can get things going. And I don't know. I, I, I think it, my speculation is maybe it has to do with um, what's his face, uh, Nyquist leaving, but we'll see. Um, and then uh, the last three games of the year uh, for the Bruins are. The Blue Jackets um, and the Wild are away, and then the last game um, is the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm at home, so yeah, the Bruins haven't been, didn't have a great week, uh, so to speak. They lost three of their uh, or two, three of their last four, um, but um, you know I, I'm not so much worried about this yet. Um, Obviously, you know, you don't want to lose these games, especially during this stretch. But I feel like the Bruins will eventually just try, like, these games don't necessarily matter because, you know, they're just trying to, you know, the, their position is already set um, and they know who their opponent is. Um, so it's, it's all just a matter of trying to uh, get ready for that. Um, so I, you know, all I'm hoping for in the last three games is like, just, uh, no one get injured. Um, that's all I really care about. Um, and then, you know, wait till next week where, uh, the next week where they, um, you know, the playoffs start. So that should be exciting, um, in that regard. Um, all right, Steve, uh, your sins. Yeah, before I get to the sense, you're talking about the injury part. Um, I did uh, find out some interesting notes that uh, Tampa Bay, um, John Cooper, speaking of John Cooper, he said that he wasn't going to rest any of his stars because he, he didn't want to make anyone like feel less important than the other guy. So 
that's an interesting way of saying I'm I'm going to keep all my players fresh, but just hoping that um, no one gets hurt. And uh, Edmonds already day to day with something, so um, hopefully that doesn't backfire in the Lightning. That's the last thing they need is a notable injury. And uh, the uh, the Flames uh, were facing against uh, Drew Daddy and the the Kings uh, last night on Monday night, and they decided to rest Matt Kachuk to avoid uh you know any rough stuff there so i think uh i think uh teams are already thinking in that direction of should probably rest our stars keep them ready for the playoffs keep them fresh uh so we'll see what happens there anyways to the sins news of the week um i don't know what it is but this team is somehow getting by without some of the key players they traded away uh duclair and gibbons have been a revelation and both guys showed up again in a four nothing home win over the sabers last tuesday Magnus Pajarvi capped off a beautiful passing play that I certainly wasn't expecting this team to make with the roster that they had. Uh, so, hey, Mark Crawford, maybe he can lead this team moving forward by the bench. Uh, what's even better is that Craig Anderson is back. Um, he had that lengthy skid that was snapped in Edmonton, posts a 35 safe shutout in this game against the Sabres. Uh, didn't get the start against Florida, um, but uh, someone who did appear in, the, in that contest was undrafted defenseman Brady Keeper, not on the Sens, plays for the Panthers, uh, signed him as a free agent. And uh, he is the first player, yeah, one of the one of the few anyways, from Cross Lake, Manitoba, to appear in an NHL game. Uh, the whole family was there, got the rookie lap treatment, play less than 13 minutes, but just such a treat to watch him live out his hockey dreams. You love to see stories like that. And uh, for Brady Keeper, it's even better because his team won 5-2. to two. From a sense standpoint, Colin White scored a fantastic goal, and there Brady, Brady Kachuk, had a monster game. I think he had like 17 scoring opportunities or 17 uh, shot attempts and 12 shots on goal, which tied a franchise record. So Brady Kachuk had a monster game for the Sens in a losing effort. Um, it's just the Sens didn't get the results. Uh, and that brings us to Saturday's game against the Maple Leafs, who were trying to exact revenge for a Saturday night loss a few weeks prior. And it would be so satisfying as a Sens fan if it were to happen again. But I knew going in, the odds weren't very good because, you know, Toronto is a good team. They would probably learn from that. And then it happens again. <laughs> It happened again, second time in two weeks. The Sens beat the Leafs in a building like the CTC that gets invaded with a sea of blue and white every time the Leafs go over there. It's another loss the Leafs shouldn't have gotten, but the Sens gave it to them anyway. Like, Toronto's supposed to win these type of games. The Sens are where they are in the standings for a reason. And over a span of two weeks, they gave up 10 goals to Ottawa, they got zero points against a very beatable team in two games, even though Craig, Maris, Craig Anderson was on God mode the entire way. Uh, Garrett Sparks, once again in net, looked invisible on in the first two goals. It's so satisfying. I never get tired when the Sens beat the Leafs, no matter how good or how bad they're doing. Um, so uh, that was enjoyable to watch before Tampa came in and destroyed everything, as they usually do. Uh, they didn't destroy Ottawa that badly. It was only a 5-2 score. It was tied at one early on, thanks to Brady Kachuk's 21st. Um, and by the way, by doing that, by scoring that goal, he set a sense record for most goals scored by a teenager. So 
uh, congrats to Brady there. Um, but like I said, Tampa Bay was too strong in that game. Sergachev scored, Brayden Point uh, added to his goal total. So did Stamkos. Yannick Gord got two goals. Um, so not surprisingly, the better team won there. But uh, Tampa didn't even get 30 shots. So for Ottawa to hold Tampa to 30 shots, uh, for Tampa to not get a power play goal in that game, it's uh, I, I'd say that's pretty successful um, if I'm a Sens fan there. Uh, a couple of off-ice headlines for you before I get into the junior hockey stuff. Um, Eric Brandstrom is week-to-week week with an injury, so um, they're probably wise to let him rest up and make sure he's ready to go for the AHL playoffs, assuming the Binghamton, uh, assuming the Belleville Sens, sometimes call them Binghamton. They're in Belleville now. Assuming the Belleville Sens make the playoffs, they probably want Brandstrom ready for that, so I don't expect him back this year. Uh, Max Lachois, unfortunately, isn't going to be playing at any level because he's out eight to ten weeks following sports hernia uh, surgery. So his season is probably over. Um, the uh, the big boys, the uh, the NHL Senators, uh, have games against the Rangers, Sabres, and Jackets to close out 2019. That game against Columbus could mean a lot more to Columbus uh, given uh, how the wildcard race may or may not shake up. So... Saturday's game could be pivotal. So um, for Ottawa to determine the playoff fate of one, maybe two teams uh, is uh, certainly something that um, will be worth watching for me. And uh, one of those three games, we could also see Joey Decord play in one of them. Uh, the goaltender signed a two-year entry level with the club, a very low draft choice in Ottawa a few years ago, but had a solid college campaign with Arizona State. I've seen people on Twitter suggest that this means the end of Andrews Nielsen as an Ottawa Senator. I honestly hope that's not the case because if I'm the Sens, I want to buy the young goalies as much time as I can. They need a calm veteran presence in net outside of Craig Anderson. I get that they have uh, Philip Gustafson, Marcus Hogberg, and now Decord in the picture and maybe they don't have a room for a guy like Anders Nielsen. I guess we'll have to wait and see, but I think, um, I think Anders Nielsen is a guy worth keeping around. Yeah. Um, before I get to the junior stuff, Brad, is there anything uh, you wanted to weigh in on the sense of what they did this week? Maybe uh, I w- the performance of Duclair even? <laughs> no, I was just going to say the, uh, uh, it's, it's interesting how both the Leafs and the Bruins are struggling uh, at, the, at the same time this um, at this part of the season. Um, but, you know, I guess it's partial. I don't know if it's like a mind, a psychological thing, or just like, a, you know, teams are, they're just like, I don't know what this bodes for both their playoffs uh, runs, but... Um, you know, it's kind of it's kind of funny that they like the Leafs lost to the Senators um, in that sense. But yeah, no, it's yeah. from what I from what you were talking about. Um, it seems like the the Sens are like you know they're actually looking decent. You know, so um, good for you guys, I guess. Yeah, they, and and again, they don't have the single, they don't have Stone, they don't yep. have Duchesne, and. And like I said, Duclair has been a very pleasant surprise for Ottawa. So mm-hmm. they should they should give Pyarby and and Nielsen and uh, Duclair, maybe even Gibbons, a chance. They have yeah. those are some of the notable free agents the that thing, they have, and 
And I think I think they'd be foolish not to keep him around. I the mean, thing, who are you going to fill it with, you know? The thing with Duclair is, like, it feels like... So this is his fourth team, and it feels like this has been a trend with him where he gets going very early on in this new team, but I kind of want to see what, what's going on, like, 50 games as a senator. Like, is he still going to be productive? And more importantly, because I know, like, John Tortorella didn't like him that much... I know he didn't really get along with people in the Rangers organization. I forget how it went in Arizona, but just so I, I'm curious to see how consistent he can be. Um, obviously, it's great to see what he's capable now, but um, I just want to, I'm wondering what he can do like a couple, you know, next season um, if he if he remains with the Senators. Yeah, and I think that's probably why I think it's going to be one of those cases where if it's the right price and the right term, they bring him back. Otherwise, yeah. he probably doesn't come back. I yep. think maybe like one year, $1.5 I think that would be a, yep. uh, that would be a safe bet. But I don't know but, if he'll necessarily do that, but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, if, if he wants to, to keep a job in the NHL, I think he might have no choice but to ride this one out. So I yep. think uh, the Sens have some leverage in that regard, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, let's go to an Ottawa team that's actually doing well and actually making playoff noise. Uh, that would be uh, the OHL's Ottawa 67s. They're off to round two. They swept the Hamilton Bulldogs in four straight games. Uh, give credit to Hamilton, the EC. They made it close in game three, only lost by a score of two to one. But um, in game four, the 67s made sure there was no comeback. Uh, by the end of the first, it was 4 nothing in a rather silent Hamilton burn. Uh, I believe it was 6-1 to one after 40 minutes. Uh, definitely a tough series on so many levels from an emotional standpoint. It was pretty heated at times. But when it came to the on-ice product, it wasn't even close. Ottawa was clearly the better team. Again, give full credit to the Bulldogs for a valiant effort, but... The 67s were just better. They executed better. Special teams was better. Play at five on five was better. Better on paper, better on the ice. Um, the the favored team won, and rightfully so. Um, I don't expect a cakewalk in round two, though, because all the top four seeds in the East and the Western Conference advanced. All of them did so in five or fewer games, and five of the first eight series were sweeps. Uh, and one of those series sweeps was the Sudbury Wolves defeating the Mississauga Steelheads. And that is who Ottawa is going to get in round two. And um, in previous years, the Sudbury Wolves haven't really been that good. In fact, they haven't been good to the point where they haven't even made the playoffs some years. This year, totally different team. Their goaltending is on the same level as Ottawa's. I don't know if you remember uh, Lukanen, uh, the Finnish goalie that uh, won uh, gold at the World Juniors this past year who consoled Di Pietro. Well, now he's going up against Di Pietro in round two uh, with the Sudbury Wolves. And uh, they also have a lot of talent offensively. Definitely wouldn't surprise me if it goes seven games. And I think it goes at least six. Um, and if it's anything less than six games, every game is a one goal game. It's, yeah. just, it's just so tight between these teams. Not too much separates them. So this is where Ottawa's confidence needs to shine. I think they have what it takes. They know that all they need is a fantastic team effort to get by these guys. They just simply have to want it more than Sudbury. And if they can survive this series, they might have what it takes uh, to go to the OHL finals. So 
Um, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the Humboldt Broncos season has reached its end after a hard-fought loss to the Estevan Bruins in Game 7. Uh, that game went to overtime, forced by the Broncos after they were down 2 to nothing in Game 7 early on. Um, disappointing part of it for Humboldt was they were actually up 3-1 to one in the series heading into Game 5. So uh, they had the three. They had three chances to close the series out and move on to the next round, but instead they're going home, um, doing so with lots of pride. However, and uh, I watched their coach being interviewed after that loss, and all I could hear was him getting pretty choked up when he talked about his team, the amount of fight that they showed. Um, and I've said it before, a lot of people wouldn't find playing in this situation an easy one, but every single one of these guys did their best, and I think that's honestly all you can ask for. And um, this week is going to be tough for them, even though they're not playing, because uh, this coming Saturday will mark uh, the one-year anniversary of that uh, tragic bus crash. So um, I'm sure a lot of you still keep the humble Broncos in your thoughts and in your hearts, but uh, please do so uh, this weekend as well, because it's going to be a, a tough rehashing of memories uh, on Saturday. Yeah, um, unfortunate, but at least, you know, they they did show a lot of heart this year, so yeah. Um, so that's a good story overall, but unfortunately, of course, uh, that they didn't go even further. Um, yeah. All right, uh, that's it for us uh, this week. I uh, lace them up. You can catch us up on uh, Twitter, lace up podcast. Our Facebook is lace them up. Um, you can, uh, we're on SoundCloud and we're on Spotify. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes as well. Um, I believe we're on most all podcast platforms um, and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, that's about it. Um, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 166, our playoff preview on the Lace Em Up podcast. <laughs>